All right, welcome back to another day of Oscar bait. Uh, we it's not going to be us again today. We got another guest, and we're very excited this time. We have. I'll just say this: I don't listen to many podcasts, despite having a podcast. I don't. I don't really know where to look or uh, what's out there, but I have heard of a podcast called Heidi. And as someone who's obsessed with the Heidi Fly story, I've listened to all of it. <laughs> so, uh, without further ado, we have the head, the creator of Heidi World, and just a, a nice online presence uh, in general. We have Molly Lambert joining us today. Hello. Yay, thank you for coming. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's it, this isn't the best show, but it's <laughs> it's the better show. Well, it's funny because you guys asked me to come on because you were like, "Oh, we heard you defending American Sniper <laughs> on the best show as being anti-war," and I was like, "Yeah, I did say that." <laughs> now I have to watch the movie again to remember <laughs> to see if that's at all true. Because I remembered. So yeah, we we're talking about American Sniper. Yep. Uh, Bradley Cooper. Uh, in Clint Eastwood's magnum opus, American Sniper. Um, but I did watch it again because I, when I watched it the first time, I remember thinking this movie rocks and is clearly anti-war, but like there's going to be a lot of dumb guys watching it who don't know that about it. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, was that just a too generous reading on my part, you know, which mm-hmm. happens sometimes? I famously thought Zero Dark Thirty was a critique of girl boss stuff. <laughs> well, we all. I, I thought Zero Dark Thirty was a brilliant critique of Hollywood about how for a woman director to succeed like Catherine Bigelow does, they have to become worse than the worst man, you know, and be like women can waterboard too. Um, absolutely which they absolutely can it's not because they don't have the capacity it's because they haven't been given the opportunity historically more women torturing more women waterboarding (laughs) but yeah then i found out that movie was completely just like not it was just cia propaganda uh straightforwardly and i was just giving it a galaxy brain that it didn't have so I was like did I do that also with American Sniper did I want American Sniper to be anti-war so badly that I imagined that it was Mm -hmm. but no when I watched it again I was like nope I'm right (laughs) well you know and you were right about that you're also right about Zero Dark Thirty because I had the same feeling on Zero Dark Thirty (laughs) maybe I felt an inkling of like what it could have been before the CIA I think I think it is that too. I think it's like, it's real. It's more just like, that's not the authorial intent, but that's definitely in there. Mm -hmm. And especially for Catherine Bigelow, who's like a director who only makes like really muscular action movies, which is like a thing no woman ever gets to do. You know, it's, it's like, yeah, you must, you must be more insane than James Cameron, which is hard to do, you know? (laughs) Um, or a particular type of, of sociopath, a uh, single-minded sociopath. Yeah. But, you know, I thought about, yeah, being a woman in male spaces and about how women can be uh, racist. 
(laughs) (laughs) torturing psychos as well. But yeah, I I did it. She's so slick though. Director, I'm with you. It's like you see any Catherine Bigelow movie, and it's like this is a well-oiled fucking machine. She's a great director, and much like James Cameron, she has a lot of interest in like sort of the fascist aesthetics of like stuff that looks cool in action movies, you know. Which I think a lot of directors, this is what I think Oppenheimer's all about. It's like, look, if you're a person who wants to control everything that happens on screen, <laughs> you might be drawn to certain aesthetics of power and control. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So I think I think that's what people think Clint Eastwood is like. Absolutely. Because he has this reputation as being, you know, a man's man, masculine, macho guy. But he's completely, he's from San Francisco. You know, it's like he's jazz lover. He's a jazz he's lover. He's a jazz he's lover. Like, we talk about how often the the hints of his bisexuality throughout his entire career. Also, there's so much to dig into. That's very interesting that you say that because yeah. there is, that's what I was going to There is like, it's hard to explain that there's like a queer sensibility to Clint Eastwood movies, but yeah. it's like he... <laughs> is one of the all-time male screen objects. You know, it's like in the Man With No Name movies, like he's not talking. He's just looking hot on screen. Like he understands, you know, and I think a lot of directors do understand. It's like they understand how to sexualize men too. And so he is like the king of Mm self-sexualizing. Totally. He's the only filmmaker who could start his career filmmaking with a movie about being stalked by a woman. Yeah. The movie's so good. Yeah. <laughs> and but yeah, it's like when you can see to her character, you know. That's what I mean. It's like yeah. he clearly likes smart women because even in American Sniper, he makes the wife like smart, which is the only smart character. <laughs> she's the only smart character, and 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 Bradley Cooper's character, the American Sniper, is like very dumb. And um yeah, I think I think this is truly a movie where like people a lot of people probably saw it and just thought it was like a raw, raw America movie, but it's absolutely not. It literally starts with the American sniper, Kyle, uh, getting cucked by his girlfriend. <laughs> and she's like, you're bad at sex. Yeah. I'm fucking this other guy because you're bad at sex. And he's like. I'm joining the Navy. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. It's the ultimate instant reaction. Who has never had that be their response to like, you're not fingering correctly. Like, I'm like, well, I'm joining. It's really like, it is not like this guy is cool at all. (laughs) Um, And you'd have to really, but I think this happens a lot with things that are kind of like making fun of masculinity is it's like, like eastbound and down or something it's like yeah you're making fun of this person and i and i think also when i watched american sniper again i was like this movie's so good because it it doesn't have contempt for the character but it does let you know that he's like a patsy in a system that is using him yeah it it, yeah okay well let's before we get deep into the movie let's kind of start with what you were talking about with like Clint Eastwood as a masculine character, um, kind of where his career goes to. Uh, and I want to talk about 
uh, Jersey Boys also, which I know you you said you liked because uh, I'm a big fan of Jersey Boys. Oh, so good. So especially when it comes to his bisexuality. So let's put a pin in that. <laughs> um, so, I'm ready to talk about Clint Eastwood gay stuff at okay. any time. Oh, okay. <laughs> we're we're going to get there. It's going to get gonna get nuts so a constant um, <laughs> theme show that we didn't realize but it has come up since we started this show how much we talk about clint's gay stuff so we're happy to be back <laughs> it just comes up naturally in every conversation yep. <laughs> why not uh so he starts his career obviously the man with no name he's on tv um rawhide which figures yeah. in the jersey boys and uh, he's in a movie, which I think he never really got away from his whole life, even though he didn't direct it. And that's Dirty Harry, uh, a movie that is the genesis for a movie like American Sniper, where you either want to make it politicized or you just want to go along with this crazy fucking character who even Don Siegel and Eastwood felt was a, you know, a pretty kind of fascist character. And. I think since that never really ever got solved on a mainstream level, he starts Malpaso. And so then he starts kind of getting involved with the Dirty Harry franchise. He starts making the cops the villains. And uh, he puts uh, Sandra Locke in Sudden Impact and makes her like even more stronger of a character than him. So it's, yeah, it, it's this kind of like, he's always kind of wanted to break these like masculine characters down especially his own image um are you uh are there any films in there molly that you really uh respond to and was like seven yeah i mean i i went through like a big i'm gonna watch all the movies clint eastwood directed phase because i forget which one it was but i was just like clint eastwood's kind of an interesting director and like he's made so many movies yeah. sort of an incredible like just his sheer output is incredible. Um, and his movies are really all over the place in terms of like subject matter. Um, oh, you know, it's because I watched Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, yes. which is like, we'll get back to the queer, the queer aesthetic of Clint Eastwood. <laughs> but that was the one that made yeah. me go like, mm-hmm. wow, and this movie's really good. Like this movie's amazing. <laughs> and this movie has like a trans woman playing herself playing this character she originated uh, from the book based on her way before anyone was even talking about that, like having trans characters, having trans representation and like, it's, it's so it's not, it, it doesn't jive with your idea of the image of Clint Eastwood that he's like interested in a sensitive portrayal of a trans woman living in the South. But that's part of what made me be like, is he like fascinating? Um, and it turns out, yes, he's totally fascinating. <laughs> he's essentially the guy from, he's essentially like one of the guys from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood who was just like, you know, he could have, he was just working in TV, working on Westerns, working on like Rawhide. And I think people who work their way up into film from television in that era, especially like, Altman too, where they just got used to shooting so much stuff, you know, all the time. And they were like, I could do this. Like, it's not hard to direct. You just have to get someone to let you do it. Yeah. And have good mentors. I mean, the the kind of mentoring had is uh I mean, Don Siegel, Sergio Leone. I mean not too good. Yeah, not, 
Good man. Yeah. Poppy. Yeah. And he was clearly very ambitious about it. And then he made, yeah, his first few movies were not like, like he made a Western first, I believe that there was, was uh, not a big hitter. Play, play Misty first. Play Misty. Is that Play Misty is first? Yeah. yeah. And then I think it's. Okay. I'm just wrong. <laughs> the we no, kind of I mean, operate with no facts here. Yeah. Play Misty is the first one that matters, but that's, yeah, the first one where you're like, this movie's about him being stalked by a woman. It's just like he's such a California man. I think what I started to to realize about him was like, because I think I was like, is he anti-war? He's like sort of not even a boomer. He's like Korean War generation. And then I found out that he was enlisted uh, and never deployed, but, but deployed to a like a local Navy base as a swimming instructor. And so yeah, cause I, I didn't even know that he was, he was, was enlisted. He was enlisted and he got out of going into combat by being a swimming instructor at a <laughs> fort, you know? So it's like he cool. never had any respect no. for the American military industrial complex. Absolutely. And that is like the heart of it is that he is like God's, true libertarian he's like god's true california libertarian you know yeah which is like the other one of those is like schwarzenegger where you're like you're not just a right-wing person who says they're a libertarian you're not just like a fascist who smokes weed you're like your opinions are really unpredictable in a way because they kind of are all over the place but it's like yeah he's anti-cop he's anti-war He's kind of pro woman, even though he did really horrible stuff to Sandra Locke in terms of blacklisting her. He did like yeah, shitty passive kind of aggressive a, stuff. Yeah, he's, kind of he's a passive aggressive. That yeah, he's a hit it and quit it kind of guy, is how we would have described him his early life. I mean, yeah, but I was also like the the stuff with Sandra Locke, where I was like, wow, that's like he's a bitch. Oh, you know, terrible. <laughs> like, it's terrible. Like, he's not a he's not a macho man, but he's like a pussy ass bitch behind the scenes, <laughs> yeah. which also makes sense because he's like a male movie star, and they all are, you know, like, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're, he's wondering. a diva. He's a diva, diva. Like, that's probably a perfect way to put it. He truly, uh, and if his like little if his feelings get hurt, he's really mean. <laughs> I yeah, he's a, connected a lot with Olivia Wilde and Richard Jewell. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, that's could, interesting, too, because the character, the wife played by Sienna Miller in American Sniper, like we were saying, it's like she's the smartest person by far in the movie. And he yeah. always his female characters are always these kind of like 70s women who are like, you know, they're smart and they all look a certain way, sort of like a 70s woman, like a mm-hmm. women's lib. Like he's very into the idea of like a woman whose respect he has to earn, who thinks he's just a dumb piece of meat. And then he's like, I'm smart, actually. <laughs> um, yeah. He, you know, which is a beautiful arc. Also, the arc of Magic Mike, another great movie. Like, oh, totally. Uh, and so I think I, what I thought when I watched American Sniper again was I was like, this is part of a trilogy with Richard Jewell, which I love Richard Jewell Amazing. and Sully that are about dumb guys accidentally becoming American heroes. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. I mean, about sort of like how stupid and corrupt the system of American heroism is. Like, well, I mean, this, mov- this movie's good. Oh, it's so good. I mean, and even like we were, we were mentioning, um, uh, play Misty for me the same year he stars in Don Siegel's The Beguiled which is yeah. a movie of him just literally being torn down by all the women in this in this uh, boarding house and he's starts as the hero he's supposed to be the the soldier and the movie just completely flips that and he just becomes this yeah kind of a, a little bitch in the house and they just like they just rip him apart and I wonder if like the impact of that movie made a made a big uh, mark on him because it seems like he never got out of under that shadow. Mm. Yeah. Um, I, I do think what you said about dirty Harry also that he's like clearly trying to critique the thing that made him a star with dirty Harry, which is like vigilante justice, which again is like, even though he's a libertarian, he's not a like, like a take up arms to kill people you know he's he's interested in sort of like american individualism as a topic yeah i've I've always kind of seen him similar to someone like john ford or like those um a lot of those hollywood filmmakers who had to uh well one he has the kind of the skills that they pass down that are when he dies those skills probably will go with him and he just has a an understanding of like how to make subtle critiques in his movies without making big overstated ideas too loud. Yeah. And I think one of the hazards of that is you can be easily misinterpreted by people that are used to getting things hammered on the head to understand them. So if it's Mm -hmm. like at all oblique or opaque, it's going to be confusing to a dumb person who thinks it's a movie about how cool it is to be an American sniper Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so, it's so it's like it's bitchy in a great way this movie <laughs> <laughs> because it is like you are you are he doesn't have no sympathy for the situation that a dumb idiot like Kyle what's his name the American sniper yeah. puts himself into he mm-hmm. understands and and you would never watch this movie and think it was endorsing fucking American snipers because it starts with him killing a woman and a child very like and being a little fucked up by it and then progressing into being like not, you know, not fucked up by killing people brainlessly, just killing anybody. Uh and then his wife is the one who's like, you're so fucked up now. <laughs> oh, I mean, all right. So let's just get into Sniper. We'll save Gabe Clint for the dessert after your, after the meal here. Um, it'll come back around naturally. It'll come back around. So, so when this movie came out, I mean, it was, like you're saying, it's one of those movies that kind of like a Forrest Gump. You got each side of the political party held it up as like, it's extolling American values it is a subtle anti-war movie. And I got to say, if he had not talked to that dang chair at the RNC, <laughs> I do think that we would have had a more nuanced 
view of American Sniper. What do you think about well, that? Well, I think that moment when he talked to the chair at the RNC made everybody be like, he's this like right-wing figurehead who embodies all the sort of things that you would think he does of like Reaganism, America, patriotism. But again, he's like a 1970s man, um, paranoid and very independent. So... It's like he doesn't like any president. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's what I mean. Like it's not it's not it's not yeah. like he hates Obama cuz he's a Trump guy. He doesn't believe in the American government. Yeah. You know? He doesn't believe he should have to listen to the American government and that people are like adults who can make their own decisions and that people who take their marching orders from the American government like the American sniper are stupid but also playing into a system that is like stacked to exploit them. Yeah, to churn their bodies out and give them all these medals and be like, you're a hero now. Now return to civilian life where you are completely unprepared to interact with anybody and be fucked up for the rest of your life. And the American government no longer claims you (laughs) except as a hero. We're turning you into this war machine and now you're going to kill the family dog because it's barking too loud. I mean, right. Especially for anyone who lived through Vietnam stuff to be like, Oh, they're trying to like bring back this kind of jingoistic, like, you know, go kill the bad guys for, for, you know, the bad brown people in another country. Um, He knows that's a scam. He's not like endorsing that at all, you know? And I I think you also see that with like his, all of his war movies are not like pro war. They're, they're probably some of the least pro war movies about war. Absolutely. I mean, maybe even like Heartbreak Ridge. I mean, it's like these are movies that he clearly like has sympathy for the people that get kind of hoodwinked to being. That's what I mean. He understands that they're patsies, but he's not like they're stupid. You know, they deserve no sympathy. It's like he's indicting college. Yeah. Yeah. He's indicting the system, which is like set up to exploit young white racist people in poverty he also is not like in you know like i think i think i thought this movie i was like oh is it is it gonna is it actually sentimental about like this person it's like no it's really like an indictment it is not in any way a heroic portrayal and it ends with his like random death at the hands of another veteran with ptsd yeah with with that haunting shot of Miller looking through the crack in that door as it's shutting. Yeah, I mean she's great in this movie, by the way. She really you don't have does the, the most. Have her, yeah. But because- um the robot baby also is incredible. Oh, it's- <laughs> I forgot how funny it's, it is. It's crazy. It's, it's crazy. crazy but when I was watching it this time, I was like, it's because Clint Eastwood is the fucking king of frugal filmmaking. And he yep. was like, why waste a day with a real baby where we're going to have crazy hours and shit because we have to keep a baby on set when we can just use a doll, shoot it in an hour. And everybody that's the TV thing, too, is being like, nope, we're just going to like, what's the fastest way through? Yep. I think I respect it because it's like very stripped down and lean, you know, which is that's what kind of connects all his movies as it is like whether it's bridges of Madison County or something like American sniper, you can tell that he just like 
gets people home on time. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. You know, that they're just like barreling through takes and like that he's not precious about it, which is what makes him a good filmmaker to me. Absolutely. I love that the that he's he's he would not want to be called a, an artiste in any way, shape or form. He's out to literally make movies like uh, the forefathers that he kind of grew up like Raul Walsh, Ford, Hawk. Yeah, it's it's hard to even like he doesn't even have an easily identifiable signature style visually at all. You know, it's really like a TV director in that way where it's like it's almost sort of designed to be authorless it's like which i think is when i watched in the midnight of garden garden of good and evil i was like halfway through it when i was like who directed this and then i was like oh are you fucking kidding me this is like, <laughs> movie, like <laughs> you know because i was I like mean, this is so good I but, like- but i think that's like he's that's like a good director to me too is somebody that's not that's you know he blends kind of seamlessly into his own movies as a director it's like he's clearly somebody who loves actors also like altman he just kind of loves putting people that are good at it on screen and letting them cook Mm -hmm. so you can see that he and bradley cooper formed this like beautiful bond of like yeah just like guys that because i think brad okay so here's what i think I think Bradley Cooper, I think The Hangover was his Dirty Harry. <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. It's I've like he finally never broke, thought about that, but yes. He, I, I'm, thinking of it, yeah. I'm just thinking of it now, but it's like he broke through finally playing this horrible fucking guy that's like not a real person and everybody loved it, you know? And he was like, I'm not a douchebag, though. I'm not like a bro douchebag. I'm like a sensitive man, you know, trapped in the body of a bro douchebag. And I need everyone to know that I'm a sensitive man. And that's why I'm going to make A Star is Born, which is also really great. Which Clint Um, handed to him. Clint was going to direct it. And uh, Clint, before production began, or I think Clint did a lot of the pre-production and just said, No, I remember that when it was in pre-production, like it was almost... Clint and Beyonce, which would have been yeah. not good. But yeah. about that. I, I think <laughs> you know, I had I didn't know what to expect from the Bradley Cooper Stars Born, but I think he's very much apprenticed with Clint Eastwood being in uh he's in the mule, right? He's in the mule. Uh, which is kind of the handing he, over moment. Like there's well, there's that. also like I saw the trailer for the mule before Star is Born. It was so funny because there's this whole thing about like the pecan farm. And then there's also <laughs> a thing about a pecan farm and a Star is Born. And I was like, <laughs> it's the Clint Eastwood pecan farm universe. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, uh, yeah, I mean, likewise, a Star is Born is just like he just puts his face and Lady Gaga's face in front of a camera and lets them feel things, which again is like the sort of seventies thing of that's what makes Clint Eastwood like a seventies man and not like an eighties man, you know, is he makes these movies are kind of like seventies movies. They're like, yeah, they let things happen. And he's also more obsessed with themes. You know, it's like, he's obsessed with the character who is sure that they're doing the right thing but they're not entirely sure and they're constantly- and they're wrong and they're usually yes they're usually wrong they're usually their ideals are boneheaded and usually i mean even with Frankie Valley i mean he's like hey 
Clint, can you just turn in a passable adaptation of this, this fucking musical? And, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to take this as a moment to dissect Frankie Valley and myself. God, can we talk about that movie for a second? Because yeah, so we, we get to it, it. Okay, Jersey Boys. Jersey Boys is a musical. I also love that Clint Eastwood is like, I just think every director of a certain age wants to make a musical. And it's often the thing at which they fail. You know, it's been... It's been a, a huge, you know, it almost fell Coppola, you know, New York, New York, the Scorsese movie is like, yeah. I love it, but it's very, it's like a thing they want to do so bad and they want to be great at it because those are the movies that like made a big impression on them early on, you know, were like MGM musicals or something and they all do a bad job and then fucking Clint Eastwood. <laughs> <laughs> Because he waited. He was smart. He was he, like, I'm And on. nobody thought it was a good idea to use the Broadway cast. Everybody was like, no, you have to cast like hot, young, fresh faces, you know, new Twinkie guys that like teenage girls might come see this movie because you put some cute Twinkie guy in it playing the teen stars of the four seasons. And he was like, no, I'm going to use a bunch of old twinks <laughs> that have been doing this for 20 years on stage every night since they were young twinks and they know every beat of it by heart and then i'm just gonna shoot it all naturalistically and i'm gonna let them sing the songs which nobody does for musicals let them sing live again that's very like altman to me it's just like He's experimenting with form in that one, too. It's crazy. I'm just like, what a good idea. Why hasn't anyone else done this for a musical? Absolutely. He really is experimenting with form. And I guess this could be a nice entryway into Gay Clint because I I love when he ta- he finds an opening. And the scene that I don't know how anyone could interpret any other way involving the four seasons in that hotel room and the one clearly gay character sitting in his other room while this orgy or whatever is about to happen and he's having to hype himself up by literally watching clint eastwood on the screen so much that the camera has to keep cutting back and forth between faces and it's like what are you saying here bud he's he's also been like uh, he was like a hot man in Hollywood for like a thousand years. Like, yeah, and he he's was been around like, some queer people in his yeah. life, you know. He, like, partied um, with people who were known to be bisexual after the fact, you know. But he was hanging out with Montgomery Clift and Liz Taylor and that whole crew who went like to that, you know, legendary now. There was a point. I always <laughs> think about this. It's like if you were a method actor in the 50s, like you were just bisexual. There was like that period in the 50s where everybody was just bisexual yep. before the 60s, you know, just like James Dean and Marlon Brando, like all these hot guys, part of the like experimenting with your role in American society. And yeah, there's like, it's it's and also to think about people just being casually bisexual in the fucking 1950s you know <laughs> it's like <laughs> it yeah. wasn't like now it was not something people did casually all the time it's like you, he was running in these circles with people that were bohemians you know and he's a bohemian yeah you you suck a little dick sometimes it's no no big deal you suck a little dick sometimes to see if you like it or not 
Yeah, yeah. maybe it takes a couple. Maybe you need a couple sucks. You know, it's like how else are you going to find out? Maybe you need to keep trying just in case. <laughs> well, there's the John and help me get it exactly correct. We talked about this in public recently, as we showed during a Giallo film series. We showed Tightrope. Um, oh, here. I just saw Tightrope. That's the one <laughs> I saw. Right. Yeah, so good. It's the the New Orleans. That's film. the one in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I loved that movie, and nobody I was with loved it. Direct. They just showed it here, and I really, I really liked it, and nobody else was with me on thinking it was good. I was like, that was good. (laughs) What do you mean? It was probably Cinematic Void who we did it with. It was. It was was Cinematic Void. Sweet. Yeah, that's who we did. (laughs) I mean, it's it's a good movie, but I think that's also like. In the 80s, he is trying to make these kind of like tight action thrillers for a minute because that is like a thing that's marketable. And he's got this dirty, hairy background Mm -hmm. that makes people want that from him. And then in the 90s, he starts making all kinds of weird shit. I think once I feel like it's because he made Unforgiven, everybody was like, like there's a period of downturn in his directing career where he was pumping things out. But it's like he's sort of so prolific. People take him for granted. Yeah. He just like makes a movie every few years. Yeah. Uh, so much so that he just takes his name off of it when he feels like, oh, did I did I let something slip? Because there's that line where the line in tightrope. <laughs> a club and the guy's like, hey, do you want to come with me somewhere or something? And he's like, no, thanks. And he's like, well, how do you know if you haven't tried? And he goes, how do you know I have? <laughs> well, that's what I mean, too, is it's like. So good. Yeah. Like with Bradley Cooper and the hangover too. It's like, those are like the most homophobic. Oh, like they're they're so homophobic. It almost comes back around, but it doesn't. So it doesn't. That's the thing. They're so homophobic. They're almost gay. And they're also in that way that like all homosocial stuff is like gay where it's like, these guys (laughs) hate their fucking wives. They just want to party and kiss each other, (laughs) you know? Um, And and then it's like, no, I don't, you don't feel that way though. Like you're, you're a sensitive boy. And, and like that to me, it's like a style that's become less popular, I guess, of straight bro. I feel like even straight bros now know they need to not yeah. be that kind of homophobic. It's true. It doesn't <laughs> you know? Know. Yeah. We're not going to see another Stifler movie anytime soon. I mean, I don't know. I feel like some of that 2000 stuff might come back, but it is like, that trying to explain that that was like so dominant and stifling for everybody, you know, that's like at all sensitive in any way, including somebody like Clint Eastwood that can pass among bros and is like, I'm different, you know. It's very, it's it's a it's an advanced type of masculinity to be so completely unthreatened by gay stuff that you're like yeah i can be around gay people and be in a gay bar and not be like threatened that someone's gonna try to fuck me because i'm clint eastwood of course they're gonna try to fuck me (laughs) look at me (laughs) yeah Yeah, he he was used to fending them from all sides i mean he's Mm -hmm. also like you know he's also the kind of guy who grew up idolizing people like randolph scott and i mean Think about like being that guy, like you're the pool cleaner in Hollywood at the time. God, Randolph Scott. Yeah, you just so a, hot. You just yeah. peek over one wall in some Hollywood Hills backyard, and you see Randolph Scott getting railed out by Cary Grant. And you're like, God, <laughs> sorry. 
I, that's what I mean too. It's like he was in Hollywood long enough that he understood that like the thing you are selling is not the person you are. And so I think he's a master sort of controlling that star image that allows him to be seen as kind of this like stoic Reagan-esque cowboy figure that people imagine him to be for some reason. And then the person he really is, who's like a weird, sensitive pussy boy from San Francisco and the Pacific <laughs> Northwest, and then later the mayor of Carmel. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so it's so perfect. That a scene that I actually used to not like about this movie when me and John last talked about it, the last scene before he goes to try to, you know, to meet with that Marine who kills him, the fact that he is, you know, dressed as a cowboy with that gun in full cowboy mode, because he's finally exactly what you said. He's finally embraced that he's a soft pussy boy and that he loves being with his family and he loves playing with his kids and like making cute jokes, like flirting with his wife, like, you know, like right, he but yeah. finally that he's a soft little cowboy and then he gets fucking killed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think Uh-oh. he's, he's similar in that he's kind of of a piece of with like Jack Nicholson too, who like, you know, embodies this kind of critique of masculinity like both the the representation of like the ultimate ideal of masculinity and within it like yeah. a critique oh because uh, there's this thing about five easy pieces about how he was like the blue collar intellectual and i feel like that's what clint eastwood too is like even though i don't think he was necessarily blue collar but he liked that image i think he liked yeah the- he liked the image yeah. yeah, I mean, I like that image sometimes, you know, I'm from Kansas. Look, and- everybody wants to be a cowboy. We all do. <laughs> and it's just a beautiful thought to ride that plane with your little horse, you know? Yeah, like- I mean, I was talking about this about Cormac McCarthy who just died, too. It's like, uh, he's from Rhode Island, which I like to say. But it's also like, yeah, he's not a cowboy, he's a novelist. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's- if he was a cowboy, he wouldn't be no goddamn novelist. <laughs> <laughs> And he also knows being um, jazz and Westerns that he knows that, you know, he's uniquely American in that way, that his two greatest interests are basically the only art forms America ever produced. Yeah. And his interest in jazz, I mean, he's interested in America, but not in a, his pa- he's not patriotic. It's like he, or he is patriotic, but about the things like jazz that come out of the the fucked upness of America. Um, So it is also like, he's not a jingoistic racist. uh, Both I think because he's like a California boy and because he loves jazz, which is a black cultural movement. He's, and I think when this movie came out, American Sniper actually came out more recently than I remembered. I truly thought this movie was from like 2000 six or something is how i remembered it <laughs> yeah it came out at a hot time in america it wasn't like a right after 9-11 like we're green lighting this because we'll green light anything that makes the war look cool this was like a while later when yeah. most people had accepted that the war in iraq was like a fiasco um even the people that were pushing for it we're like okay well we did it guess it was a fiasco <laughs> yep. whoops yeah i mean he did it during the obama era too which is like he 
like I, I don't think Eastwood is because you know people like critique it and they're like well how come he left this thing out and he left this thing out and this lie about Chris Kyle and it's like well maybe you're also not understanding what it takes to be a filmmaker you can't throw everything in there and well I think that it's just like the critique is so much in there it's like I really don't it would be really hard to watch this movie and come away from it being like, he's awesome. Like he's, he's an American hero. And then some of the stuff that came out about him came out after that, after the movie uh, about how he was also like a compulsive liar, which is not very surprising that he did kill a lot of people, but that he claimed he killed twice as many people as he had killed, which is crazy. Um, and then he said a bunch of crazy stuff about claiming he had been like a vigilante hero at the Superdome during Hurricane Katrina, like a classic (laughs) psychotic prepper fantasy of like, oh, the they're trying to break into the Superdome and me and all these other snipers got on the roof and sniped the people that were trying to like steal stuff. And it's like, this did not happen. Uh, but it it reveals there's like this very fucked up fantasy that a lot of your fucking libertarians of the other stripe do you have about like when America collapses and I get to kill everybody mm-hmm. like fucking Chris Pratt just said something exactly like this today. Like Chris Pratt is the completely the real Chris Kyle or the wannabe. Well, yeah, he like said this quote about like it's every dad's fantasy to like like put somebody in the trunk of a car if they try to hurt your children like oh man if i if i only was there if i was only there i would have that's what i mean it's like so clint eastwood i think understands that like physical violence doesn't solve anything and that's like what a lot of his movies are about too and you know and and that things like unforgiven that are about this sort of myth of like getting revenge and like you know, the the heroic quest of like violence that he thinks that's all bullshit and always has. Yeah. I mean, the violence in that movie is so brutal and so pointless seeming that like you don't get you're not like rooting for him to kill little Bill. It's like he kills him and it just seems to be a matter of happen of circumstance. And I mean, also like my favorite Westerns. I love existential Westerns and I love movies that are like, okay, we got the thing we wanted and it doesn't matter. (laughs) Yeah. Well, all that matters is that coda at the end. It's the thing that always makes me tear up. And it's just like about the woman we never see in the whole movie. And it just wraps how she could ever love this guy. It's making me want to tear up right now. It's to love. We achieved the goal and it's meaningless. Yep. <laughs> and I'm still and I'm still not happy. Yeah, I've abandoned are- my kids somewhere. <laughs> Just left them. Up. <laughs> <laughs> you did it. I mean, he's he is obsessed with taking down that myth of himself, of others, and like you're saying, it's kind of hard to like, you know, like we've always said on the show, the American Sniper Challenge. Like, just put it on and really try to, like, if that drill sergeant saying like, "I'm gonna make you unblack." doesn't register as like like who in the theater is like hell yeah make them on black unfortunately 
probably a lot of guys. Probably. That's a the lot thing. Is but this this is also like it does feel like there's a thing happening with media literacy where people are becoming like purposely bad faith about stuff like this of like oh well you, if you show it on screen you're endorsing it and an American Sniper top to tail is an example of how that is not true of how you can show this guy's story and not in any way be valorizing him and also still have sympathy for the way he gets turned the fuck out by the American government. And, mean, and like in, in Richard Jewell, like in Richard Jewell, which is an incredible movie because Richard Jewell is about a guy. I mean, all these movies are about losers, but like in American Sniper and Sully, it's like they're, they're Tom Hanks and Bradley Cooper. So they're not like such obvious losers, but in Richard Jewell, it's Paul Walter Hauser and he is incredible, but it's like Clint Eastwood understands the guy that just wants to give, give authority, like to just listen to authority. So that's what I mean. Also that he's not like a fascist. He's, he's, he's a libertarian in that. That's his main core belief is like, like I understand why people want to give themselves over to an authority. And I also understand how it allows them to be exploited, including especially men who think they're being heroic or being used. Absolutely. And this is where I don't think he is a sentimentalist, like we were saying, because at the very end of Richard Jewell, what does Richard Jewell do after the whole events? The movie just becomes a cop. Again, that's the best part of Richard Jewell. And that's the 70s downer ending is like he learns nothing. He gets framed for this Olympic terrorism thing and he becomes public enemy number one and then an American hero. And he's just this absolute chud who like whose life sucks so bad. He just wants to be like a hero. Yeah. And then at the end, he's just like signs up to be a cop. And it's like he's learned nothing. Yep. And it's also clear that he's the fucking front desk cop who's answering phones and sending other people out. Like, (laughs) you know, he just wants to be he just wants to be accepted by like other guys who all think he's like a loser and will never accept him and that's all he cares about and Clint Eastwood is like you know what if you didn't care what those guys thought what if you only care about what you think and you live by a code and it's a code of like personal manhood and that code of personal manhood lets you make the bridges of Madison County (laughs) that's fucking right which is also stellar. <laughs> yeah. Which is also all about how like hot his bod is. It's like uh, Yep. Well, that's the only outside of tightrope now that you've seen it when we get his ass oiled up. That's the hottest, you know, one of the hottest times we get to see Clint on screen is Bridges. Yeah. I mean, look. You should <laughs> just a soft, that's the most softy movie ever made. I mean, that's just uh I love that movie to pieces and I think it's kind of the the beating heart of Eastwood in many ways. Well, I have to, yeah, the way- Oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah, go ahead. You never seen it. So you're going to oh, confess. No, no. I, okay. I, I, you go ahead. <laughs> I forgot what I was going to say. I want you oh, to sorry. confess now. <laughs> what do you, no, what do you- I was going to confess the, the embarrassing origin of this whole episode for our listeners that we do have. And it's important for what you're talking about where there, there seems to be a thing happening where, you know, if you put something on screen that everyone agrees is bad, that means you're endorsing it. So I'll be very quick, but 
the way I came to American Sniper, um, I it's John's favorite thing about me. Um, but I grew up in a tiny little town in Southern Illinois. And one of the people who was my mentor, he was like six years up. He showed me punk music, you know, all that shit. Showed me metal, got me going as a kid. He was very much this like hippy dippy kid. And then something went wrong in his life. And so he went to the reserves. That didn't go great. So then he went to Kansas City and joined the police force where his teacher and mentor was Chris Kyle um, before he died. Wow. Yeah. And turned him and he learned a lot from Chris Kyle, I would say, and turned him into this. He's now a doomsdayer. He's a very successful guy who like sells trucks and beard oil and guns and shit and teaches people in the woods how to get ready for. Wow. And so this movie, because of that, it was it has always been one of the hardest things for me to be able to actually give it the real chance it deserves. Well, that's you have a deep personal connection to it. But I'm excited because it finally worked. No, I mean, I think it's about (laughs) I think it's about how that entire ethos that you're talking about is like very seductive to people, especially to men, because it's saying like, I'm going to obliterate your emotions and replace them with control, you know? And I just feel like like there's obviously a lot of annoying things about like oh like you know the men being radicalized online and stuff but it's like the reason for that is because it's hard (laughs) it's hard to be a person and if somebody can sell you this kit to like you're gonna be this type of person and i and all you have to do is do this and this and this like that's easier than thinking about what you want yep chris kyle clearly has no idea what he wants i mean one of the most heartbreaking scenes for him is that scene where he like he's like in town but he, he's only at that bar and he like is on the oh. phone with his wife and he just can't go home i mean it's he's a failed rodeo guy that's the yeah. funny thing about the start of the movie too is he doesn't absolutely. even join the fucking navy until he's 30 absolutely yeah you know that's <laughs> yeah. part of what establishes like this guy's a loser he's <laughs> yeah. such a loser that when he's 30 he's like i'm gonna join the navy and yeah. that'll but it is like it's about how like about how the the you know the the thing that the awards he's given for killing all these people yeah <laughs> give him this identity and it's like in exchange for like a full just mental breakdown yeah and his and like so that's of, also that's like the trick of it is being like oh we'll get rid of all your emotions and replace them with like nothingness and then it's like just kidding <laughs> yep yeah you're just, just kidding we fucked you up so bad you can't function in society anymore and it's your problem now absolutely and it's like that's why i think he's not trying to well this is where we got into contention with our previous guest on this mr matt christmas <laughs> uh because i don't think that this is a movie that is him trying to tell the story of Chris Kyle. I think he's trying to tell the story of the American soldier as he sees it so much so that he strips so much of the Chris Kyle story away and kind of strips it to this bare bones of like, you know, and not even so much what the military does to these, to men, especially it's what the, the home life does with the whole wolf discussion. I mean, 
to me, that's like the most disturbing part of the movie because that's where he's saying like, well, this is where it all stems from. God. Yeah. His childhood is also a nightmare. Brutal father. Jesus Christ. Yeah. His father's just an asshole. But I think that's, yeah, he's interested in what makes people moldable in this way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think he even dials down on it even harder with, uh, well, I called it 1459 earlier, but that's the show. <laughs> uh, 1517 to Paris. Uh, the Have you seen that one? I haven't. Okay. So I'm not going to spoil anything, but that's like about story about some kids that stopped a, a real life, like terrorist attack on a train. But the movie doesn't really focus that much on that event it kind of shows their boring lives and about how they're just obsessed with the military their whole life they're just obsessed with guns they want to have guns every adult in the movie is played by a famous comedian which there has to be a point to this wow i've still not figured it out if there is one but what kind of comedians I mean, you have uh, God. I'm gonna forget all their names. Um, Wait, let me pull up the list. Yeah, let's pull it up. Pull it up because it's like it's like it's, Southland Tales. <laughs> a little, actually, because they keep coming. Like Buster Bluth is like the gym. Okay, teacher, and like, <laughs> that's interesting. You know what? I will just say, segue, segue. Uh, the Clint Eastwood comedy movies are incredible. The Any Which Way But Loose is so oh. funny. Um, he didn't direct it, but he does star in it. And that's also a movie where I'm just like, oh, he gets that like the Clint Eastwood persona is like funny, can be used for a joke. He's just an incredible straight man for a monkey. And everybody made fun of those movies for it being him and a monkey. And then when I watch it, it's like about the honky tonk scene in the San Fernando Valley in the 70s and truck drivers. Yeah. And everything with the monkey is so funny because he's like, what do you think, monkey? And the monkey's like, <laughs> <laughs> and I cannot overstate how fucking funny that is because he keeps a straight <laughs> face. The monkey like flips him off. It's so funny. He's a funny <laughs> actor. I mean, he's good at comedy. Like, it he's, is. he's funny as hell in the gauntlet like, too. He's the gauntlet why would he be good at it? It's just he. Oh. It, he's good at a lot of stuff. Yep. Yeah, I mean, even Cry Macho, where he kind of goes back to the I'm on oh, a road yeah. with an animal thing. Wait, <laughs> do, you like, do you like Cry Macho? Oh, I'm pro Cry Macho. Yes. I'm also pro the mule. Love you know, Love yeah. <laughs> when people were like, he couldn't have a threesome. It's like, look, he's clearly Clint Eastwood in that scene. <laughs> he's being modest in that movie. If he's no longer a character. He's the guy Clint Eastwood. Yeah. So everyone's like, what? 80 year old could have like a threesome it's like fucking clint eastwood, eastwood that 80 year old yeah. i mean the bikes with the dykes with bikes scene hilarious <laughs> one, of the, one of the funniest scenes he's ever committed to film he's funny i'm just excited that finally and i truly feel like it was therapeutic this morning my watch of american sniper i fully felt free of every reason i could not fully see this movie for what it was it finally happened this morning. <laughs> and so I will say to anyone who's listening to this, if you also have whether a personal connection or you just, you know, think you fucking hate it and you're remembering it weird, just try it again. Give it a shot. Be, op- be open-minded, just like we said to be with Forrest Gump. Give it- <laughs> be open-minded. No, truly. I think it was just, you know, because I was like, it's true, though. It's like American Sniper is not pro-American Sniper the way that, like, 
taxi driver is not pro the taxi driver. Yes, <laughs> like, right. <laughs> or the deer hunting. And that's a... Yeah. Yeah. And those are way more, like, in a way, romanticized depictions of, like, oh, vigilante sure. psycho stuff. You know, that I understand why people think it's about how cool it is to be a psychotic vigilante. Yeah. American Sniper never makes you think it's cool for a second. You oh. know, they they put no weight on somebody's ability to snipe. It's like, who fucking cares? Oh, you're good at killing people? Yeah. Fuck you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the only real, like... a like kinetic action scene is the movie is the sandstorm scene yeah when it's just even like that but yeah starts with, that's about that. it that's all you can really say and that's just about obfuscating the, the vision yeah but it's and it they establish they establish so quickly that he's willing to kill a child and then like at like after that you're never going to be like this person is like salvageable you know it's like the first thing he does in combat is like kill a child to impress everybody. Be like, what if that child had a gun? It's like, who cares? <laughs> like, yeah, you're sniping him like a fucking coward. The sniper is like the most cowardly shit in the world. Like you're not, it's not like a Western where you're confronting somebody at high noon in the square fair fight the exact opposite you're being a pussy ass bitch from a rooftop somewhere sniping people that do not pose a threat to american democracy in any fucking way yeah and it is because you've been convinced that this is like a video game and that you win by killing the most people yeah and then you're going to get a medal for it and then be sent home to fucking be miserable for the rest of your life because all you care about is the adrenaline of murdering children yeah and it's to show it with a movie kind of stripped of a real... Yeah, well said. Oh, and it's yep. <laughs> just a movie... I love be- this movie. I think it's great. Uh, I truly... We really don't have much else to say about it. I think it's just a... Like, if you still need convincing, then we'll just say toss on solely Richard Jewell in 1459. Uh, you know, the Sugar Ray album. And just <laughs> see if, if, if it all still makes sense. Because if you view... The easiest way into Sniper, if we haven't convinced you, is just look at the context of the guy's work. Like, yeah. It, that's it. And yeah. and truly, there's a straight shot over to Jersey Boys, which is about all these like little, like they're singers. Again, they're not gangsters. They're not in the mafia. They are surrounded by people that are killers and that are in the mafia and that are killing people for profit and and personal gain and stuff uh, ruthlessly. And that's the funniest thing about the Frankie Valley story too, is it's like, he is this tough fucking kid. And then he has this insane falsetto voice. (laughs) (laughs) But then what that, it's like Jay Edgar. It's like, yeah, this guy came up with the Dewey decimal system for how to track criminals or whatever, but it's like the the horrible man who, Really, uh, a lot of the issues we're still dealing with today can be traced back to that guy. Yeah. Also, the J. Edgar is all about a guy who's like closeted into becoming the the most fake trad mask, you know, macho psycho, which again, I think is kind of related to the Zero Dark Thirty thing of like marginalized people can become psychotic sociopaths too. They really just need the opportunity. You know, 
and <laughs> everyone has it inside don't worry <laughs> everybody has it inside but i do think it's like clint eastwood fundamentally understands that when people are violent and it's because they're like not healed absolutely <laughs> it's not because violence is this thing that burns inside everybody that they're just waiting to express the way that like chris pratt believes it's because he understands that people that are violent <laughs> angry sociopath not sociopath, but like people who feed into this complex of re- being rewarded for being macho and violent. It's because they're little babies. Yeah, they are. <laughs> they're they're little, little mechanical babies. <laughs> they're little babies who are scared of their daddies. They're scary fucking daddies. Yep. They want um, more hugs and they just wish their dad didn't yell so much. And here we yeah. are. Yeah, yeah. Or, their mom, or their mom, their Judy Dench mom being like, you're not gay. <laughs> yeah. he's like okay <laughs> yeah i mean again those love scenes in that movie are as tender as anything in uh bridges of madison county yeah so. yeah it's like he treats women like people which is you know again he was really horrible to sandra Locke in real life with the stuff he did and maybe he does it as a defense a, you know workaround in the movies to be like look i'm a, i'm i treat women like people but he does all the female characters in his movies are like much better developed than a lot of fucking female characters in movies. And especially in something like American Sniper, which is like nobody cares what the wife is like in American Sniper. He makes the wife a person yeah. and the only real moral center of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, ladies, if you're listening. You can take up the mantle of loving American Sniper too. yeah uh, this is a safe space for women who love american sniper (laughs) you know what american snipe her there we go the the book is fucking closed don't think about how that doesn't make any sense yeah don't worry about about it just feel it just feel it (laughs) it feels good well well said i will uh i think we've said everything we can on this uh brilliant but uh disturbing and divisive movie so this is so fun i'd love to come back sometime anytime thanks thanks for having me you just tell us shoot us an email with what you want to talk about we'll say yes great (laughs) i just truly a my my authoritarian streak is I love being assigned a movie. Okay. Well, in, in that case, we'll send you some options then. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, welcome tomorrow and coming soon. Yes. Oh, my God. I was speaking of military critiques and insane people. Um, <laughs> all right, well, uh, all right. <laughs> and, secretly, and secretly queer love stories. Yes. Oh. Well, now we've got um, to do- Oh, shit. Now we've got to... That's, yeah, this is part of my all all movies about men are queer uh, series. Well, if we're going here, you can promote it here when you start the screening series in LA. You can oh, yeah. Uh, I would love to. Yeah, actually, we'll, um, chat, we'll chat real quick before we sign off a little something about that. But um, All right, cool. We'll just uh, we'll, we'll say goodbye to you and our listeners here. Not actually you. Stay on the line. And <laughs> goodbye, everyone. Yes, thank you so much for joining us.